Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from Antigua. I'm Nathan Owens. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who might be listening to the program. We have a couple of questions that have come in since last week's episode before Pastor picks up with the material he was covering from last week. This first question video or question that has come in is in relation to a video and the video was entitled is hell a place and it comes off of tiktok it was sent in by a listener who wants to know pastor why does this person in the video downplay hell as if it's not real it's only about a two minute video so i'm going to play the audio from this video and then pastor will share his input from a biblical perspective Hell is the biggest conspiracy the Christian church has ever made up. And to be fair, they didn't make it up. They stole it from the myths of the old world to scare people into submission and to make money. The most famous verse in the Bible makes it pretty clear where God stands on the idea of torturing people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. So it's clear God wants people to live forever. But if they reject that, the consequence mentioned in Scripture is not that they will be tortured forever by Him. It says that they will perish. So the opposite of everlasting life, according to Scripture, is not everlasting punishment, but rather the end of life, to perish. Malachi chapter 4 says that the wicked will be stubble, ashes under the soles of our feet. Complete destruction is the thing that is alluded to there. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus again gives the same picture by saying that we should not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So what is this hell? It keeps alluding to. Jesus said that people will be completely destroyed in this idea called hell, not tortured forever. And the Bible paints the picture of this final judgment as an event, heaven for some, hell for others. Hell is this moment of realizing all is lost, and then we cease to exist. The breath stops. The heart stops. The life giver no longer sustains our lives because then it would be torture, and he isn't into torture, contrary to what you may have heard from a pulpit. 
It's perhaps the greatest evil in history for Christians to promote this heresy that hell is this place of torture by a God who says he loves people. You can't have it both ways. None of us would torture someone with fire, days on end, or any other device. That's called being a madman. And if a torturous hell is real, then God is this madman unworthy of worship and atheists are already on the better path. So you may be asking, well then, what about all these texts in the Bible that say hell is eternal, hell is forever? Well, that's part three. Now, that is not a new program on the Lighthouse. Uh, That was just a sample of video audio that was sent in. And, Pastor, again, the question from the listener that sent that in, why does the person in the video downplay hell as if it's not real? Well, I think, uh, according to the program we've been dealing with, I think that um, it's clearly that this is part of the growing apostasy at the end time. Remember that uh, William Booth said in 1912, we preach in heaven without hell, mm-hmm. salvation without regeneration, uh, and um, faith without um, conversion without faith. Uh, I think he foresaw what was going to happen, and it is very, very clear that we are coming to the stage in, 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 in history where there's going to be a lot of denial in connection with the biblical teaching about uh, hell. But I would like to say this, that, you know, contrary to man's opinion, uh, you've got the clear... Uh, teaching of the Bible with the awful truth that um, sooner or later, if men reject Jesus Christ, they are going to be punished and imprisoned uh, uh, if they don't put their faith and trust in Christ, and they will face eternal torment. This is not a pleasant topic that um, anybody likes to talk about. It's not, as a matter of fact, um, I myself um, find it difficult Uh, I must say within myself, to imagine what such suffering would entail. But I think my biggest problem is that I'm a sinner, and I can't fully comprehend what it is to be so absolutely holy and to have made such gracious provision for man to be saved in giving my only son, and then for humankind to reject my son, and uh, then to um, abuse my grace. Um, I can't fully comprehend how a holy God would respond to that. But I don't need to comprehend it because the Bible is very, very clear on this matter. The greatest hell preacher was not Paul. It was not Peter. It was not any other apostle. Uh, the greatest hell preacher in the Bible was Jesus Christ uh, himself. Uh, he spoke more about the subject of hell than any other uh, New Testament writer. And he did it because his love for humankind, and he was warning people that they must not come uh, to this place. The word that is generally translated um, hell in the New Testament is the word Gehenna. It is translated hell nine times in the New Testament, Matthew 5, 28, and 30, Matthew 10, 28, Matthew 23, 15, and 33, Mark 9, 43, 45, and Luke 12, 5. It's also translated uh, hell's fire three times in Matthew 5, 22, Matthew 8, 18, verse 9, and Mark 9, 27. Uh, and then the Bible gives you a very clear description of what hell is like. It talks about hell fire in Mark 9, 47. It talks about fire that shall not be quenched in Mark 9, 43 and 45. He says it's a place where the worm dieth not in Mark chapter 9, verse 44 and 48. He calls it everlasting punishment in Matthew 25, 46. Tormented day and night forever and ever, Matthew chapter, sorry, Revelations 20, 11, 20, 10. 
people would have no rest day nor night forever and ever, Revelations 14, 11, and wailing and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 13, 42, and 50. And we're told that you curse into everlasting fire, Matthew 25, verse 41. 41. So however you look at it, the language of Scripture uh, is very, very, very clear that there is a place of eternal torment and that God has made a provision that man doesn't have to go there. Any man that makes that choice, that's a choice he's made, but he cannot use the excuse that God has not done everything to provide a way of escape. So man can rebel and man can reject, but there are always consequences, and those consequences, the Bible makes it very clear, are eternal consequences. Though the argument that he uses, uh, Nathan, is that in um, John chapter 3.16, that there's an option that you either get eternal life or you're going to perish. Okay? And he's pretty much saying that people are going to be annihilated. You're just going to be totally destroyed and nothing will exist after that happens. If you want to use that because that word perish is used, Mm -hmm. well, let me show you how that word perish is used in the New Testament as well in the same Gospels. Look at... uh, um, Look at Matthew 8.25. Same word. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. It's the same word. So does that mean they were annihilated? If you Mm -hmm. use the argument that the word perish means to annihilate. So if you don't save me from uh, drowning, I'm perishing. That means I'm going to be annihilated. Look also at uh, another use of that word, John chapter 11, verse 50. John chapter 11, verse 50, as in five zero. Yeah. Okay, let me scroll down here. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should perish. Not. Again, that's Caiaphas uh, talking about mm-hmm. uh, making a release of one of the persons, otherwise the the Romans would come and destroy Israel. But does that mean that the Romans come and destroy Israel, the nation will perish? God said that there's no way the nation of Israel will ever perish. He said the sun would have to perish first and the sun and the moon would have to perish. So if you're talking about using a word, uh, that word, and that word means annihilated, take the same word and apply it to these settings. You see that it doesn't mean that. Let me give you another word. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul uses that same word. 2 Corinthians 4.16, yeah. For which cause we faint not, but though our out, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Again, does that mean that human is going to perish? The the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed. So clearly, you're dealing with two different things. I'm just saying, if you take the argument he's using. And then take the same word he uses there to say that it means annihilation, be destroyed forever. Take that same word and see what's used in the scripture. And it's very, very clear. It's not talking about annihilation. Okay? Um, so I'm just saying to the, the, to, in responding to what he gave, that that's the way you respond to these type of human opinions. You take the same argument he uses, you take the same word, you see how that word is used, and it's very, very clear the man is off on his subject and he's misusing the word. Uh, perish is not used in that sense. And then, of course, you study the biblical doctrine of hell itself by going to taking every verse of Scripture and seeing what the Bible says about it. And I would challenge anybody to take the uh, concordance and go to the concordance and look at the word hell. Read every verse that is there, and then you come and tell me there's no hell, right? Uh, it's impossible to do that. 
right? Uh, but again, his argument is the same argument that was used by the Jehovah's Witness. When Charles T. Russell, that was why he became a Jehovah's Witness. He was, first of all, a Congregationalist. And when he discovered that he was teaching about hell, he didn't like the word hell. He didn't like the idea of eternal torment. So he had to reinterpret the Bible to accommodate his own beliefs. And that's why uh, they believe in annihilation as well. The Seventh-day Adventists as well do not believe in eternal torment. They also believe in, uh, in uh, annihilation. Uh, and the problem is that they're trying to take human reason to become the basis of a biblical doctrine. And that's using sinful understanding, sinful feelings, sinful sentiments. Because I wouldn't do something as a human being. Mm. I'm not holy. I don't know what it is for my son to be sacrificed and then people reject him. I've never had a son I've had to sacrifice. And I'm not God with all of my holiness. And I think this is a mistake that we often make. That's why revelation must guide us rather than human reason. And when our reason contradicts revelation, the wisdom of a Christian is to go over the revelation as opposed to reason because reason can be wrong. Even our minds are corrupt because we're totally depraved. So I would not move by this guy's argument. The thing I find, though, that these guys are very slick talkers. Right. I mean, they, they, there's no doubt they have that particular gift. And I think that that's the... That's the danger of having a global platform with people who have the gift of gap, to be honest with you, unless you have somebody to check on it and to, to refute it almost immediately. By the time it reaches us, you can imagine how many other people have heard this video right. who don't have the information about the Bible in, in that regard, and they come to the conclusion the guy's right. Uh, it's very, very dangerous. But um, there's a program we did on hell. I would suggest that you offer that to those who are listening. Yeah, I will give you that information later on in this evening's episode as I pull it up. In fact, okay. I've got it right here. Uh, if you were to go to Google and type in That's Truth Podcast, choose your preferred provider. Maybe it's Apple Podcast. Maybe it's Google Podcast. And look for That's Truth Podcast, episode 104, and it's entitled Hell and Heaven. And I think there was maybe another episode uh, that also discussed this topic, and if I come across it, I will share it with you as the evening goes on. In relation to that video, the individual said that if there was a hell, then God would be a madman. Is God a madman? Well, again, I, 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 to make a statement like that is so blasphemous, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. Yeah, that yeah. I'm amazed that he's not terrified that to, to, to be so glib uh, and make that kind of a statement. That would greatly concern me. I would be concerned about something happening to myself to, to tell, say that God be a madman because it's a hell. Uh, and I think that that is part of the arrogance of the human mind and people who are not guided by biblical truth, but maybe their own private sentiments or maybe something they've read. And we've got to be very, very careful as God's people that we let the Word of God be the primary source of our information and guide us in terms of what we believe and not follow the bandwagon. And I would like to say one other thing, Nathan. That is the, his argument is the imbalance that is being presented to the unsaved man today. Mm. All that is being told is that God is love. Yeah. See, and that is where we are today because this particular aspect of God's love uh, is pushed so greatly that no pe people are no longer conscious of the danger. Yeah, Pastor, we have a caller calling in relation to this video about hell. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Hello, um, hell being built for the 
and the human being. He didn't build because Christ created us, God created us, and he didn't build hell for we. He built hell for the devil and his angels. I agree with and that. And if you want to follow him, we follow him because the, hell, the hell is forever and forever. That, that, that's what, what, what he said, the word of God. Mm -hmm. So therefore, he didn't build hell for us. Yes. He built hell for the devil and his angels. Right. And if you want to follow, we follow. Christ, if you come to Christ, he will save us. But if we, we, we deny him, well, then we de deny ourselves because he won't deny us. He go on and he writes in his father and he, he, he making confession for us. Mm -hmm. So therefore, um, what he said there, you know that, and tell him, tell him that. Tell him he didn't build hell for the devil and his angels. Yeah. Yeah, the passage that you're referring to is Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Could you read that for me, Nathan? Yeah, Matthew 25, verse 41. As I'm turning there, let me say thank you very much for the call and your input. Thanks for listening. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So you're expecting, you're, you're expressing the sentiments that we hold here as well. Uh, it is true that hell was never designed uh, as a destiny for humankind. But when man jo joins in the rebellion of Satan, he shares in the same destiny. And that's the point our Lord is making here. It was not intended for man. But if man joins in rebellion and reject the salvation God has provided in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he suffers the same consequences. And that's the, that's the biblical teaching. That's why Christ spoke so much on this subject. It's because of his love for humankind that he spoke so much to say to people, this was not for you. There's a way of escape. I am the way, I am the truth. Uh, no man comes to the Father except through me. Put your faith and trust in me. Accept what I've done for you on the cross. Accept my redemption, my salvation, and you will be spared from this destiny. But if you persist in your rebellion and join in the, with the enemy, you share the same destiny and the same consequences. So I'm, I, I appreciate what you're saying, and I agree with the sentiments that you've expressed. Thank you for the call. We appreciate you listening to That's Truth. Uh, in relation to God and hell, does God send someone to hell, or do they in many ways send themselves because they reject him. Well, in a, in a sense, I mean, God is the actual one who's going to have to cast them into eternal, through the angels, but it, people make that choice. Um, and I, I mean, like, I don't know what else God can do. Now, there are a lot of people who blame God for the problem. They said if he didn't uh, allow Adam to sin, uh, we wouldn't be in this dilemma. And I, I, I don't argue with them with that because it is very clear that um, it, it was not God's will is never that we, we sin. Right. God cannot be tempted with the evil, neither tempted man with evil. Now, there's a lot of mystery about uh, uh, that aspect of it, the metaphysical part of it. But again, if you want to blame God for allowing uh, sin to happen, you've got to give him credit that he solved the problem. And he solved the problem by paying the dearest price he could pay, that's the gift of his son. So uh, if he has now made a provision for humankind, and man rejects that. And he warned you ahead of time that if you do not put your faith and trust in my son, there are eternal consequences. I don't see, therefore, how a man can blame God uh, if he rejects the offer that God has made and he rejects the gift of salvation. Uh, he is choosing hell as opposed to heaven. And let me be very, very clear. Some people will not be happy in heaven. 
I repeat, some people will not be unhappy because what they want to happen in heaven is not going to happen in heaven. Heaven is a place of holiness and righteousness. Uh, there's no marriage, there's no sex, there's no booze, there's no drinking, there's no carousing around. And some people, that's what their whole life is about. But do you think those people that have that mentality would end up in heaven? Well, that's why I'm trying to say to you that um, that's why they choose the direction they're going. Uh, They'll be bored in heaven. As a matter of fact, they're bored with the church now. They can't even stand up to 15 or 20 minutes to listen to a message. They think the old songs that we sing are antique uh, relics that belong to the days of Methuselah, and therefore there's no need for that. Uh, There has to be a change of heart. And that can only come about as a result of regeneration, putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But man choose their destiny, and man as a moral being has a choice to make. And that choice is settled at death. Once you are dead, that choice is settled. Nothing can change that. There's no second chance. There's no third chance. This is the only opportunity you have now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Thank you to the individual who sent in that video in about hell and we appreciate your interaction on that's truth if you have a question you can call and ask it live on the air by calling 1-268-462-7420 if you would rather not speak live on the air that's not a problem at all we have other means that you can interact with us you can whatsapp or text your question to 1-268-782 1454, or you can go to Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and while you're listening to the program and watching behind the scenes, you can comment in the comment section, and your comments, your concerns will get passed along to Pastor Murphy also in a live, timely manner as the other means of communication and you interacting on tonight's program. We have another video that had come in from a listener this weekend. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you who have sent in videos or questions for That's Truth. This one was quite a bit longer. It was about 12 minutes. I don't have any audio from it, but let me just give you a summary. The video claims that the World Economic Forum is trying to decriminalize sex with children. Those arguing say that criminalizing pedophilia violates human rights, and that pedophilia is nature's gift to humanity. They say pedophilia can also aid to decrease the population, as those children who are used in this manner end up having fewer children themselves. Pastor, I know you watched uh, the video, or at least sections of it. What are your thoughts from a biblical perspective in this confusing world? Well, I started researching... um this website, and I haven't come to any conclusions yet, but I did find about four other sites that indicated that this was not what the World Economic Forum had uh, concluded or advocated. So I'm in kind of limbo about that right now. i got to get some certainty on it. I want to check up the guy who sent in the, the, the video. I want to find out if he's a credible person. And then I want to check some other sites to see exactly, because I was looking for the actual quotation that he gave in the video. He did have a, a presentation where somebody at the, for I think it was Swap, was making this comment about the um, children, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I want to make sure that I'm not a, 
conspiracy theorists, right? I'm very, very careful about that. I would say this, however, that it is very, very clear that the World Economic Forum and those who are part of this whole thing, there's no question about it, that there are a godless group of men who have an agenda for planet Earth and who is trying to put an agenda in place. Um, I think these are men at the age they're at now, they're in their 60s, they're in their late 50s, and some of them maybe even in the 70s. When you've reached that age and you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you've had preeminent positions of leadership in the world and the global scale, I would suggest to you that most of those men are men who have lost what you might call a moral conscience. I might even describe them as amoral. I wanted to describe them as immoral, but I think they don't have any morality. And these are the men who are trying to set an agenda for the world countries, and they're using the coercion of economic prowess to get the countries to fall in line with their agenda. Um, I think this was happening. I don't um, doubt that somewhere along the line that this pedophilia is going to be legalized. You can't stop once you have said that uh, people now can decide what gender they are, they can decide uh, on these kind of issues, uh, what kind of orientation you are. What stops a man from saying, but I was born oriented towards liking little boys or little girls? I mean, how, what argument are you going to use now once you've surrendered the others that a man could decide today he's a, a man and then tomorrow he's a woman uh, or you've legalized homosexuality you've allowed same-sex marriage I don't see and by the way I don't think it's going to be possible within a democracy to stop polygamy from coming back alive again in a democracy because if you can allow two men to marry why can you not allow a man to marry two women that doesn't make as a matter of fact that makes more sense than a man and a man marrying a woman and a woman so I think we're in real utter confusion and this is what happens when you go away from God and his word you come to a point where everything is relative and every individual now makes a choice for himself and therefore every man becomes a little God to decide what is right and what is wrong so I am not prepared at this point in time to say that this is precisely what the World Economic Forum is pushing I would like to investigate it for another week and then maybe come back and refer to it, but I I don't put it beyond the pale of these kind of people to want this kind of morality because um, everything today, Nathan, is about money. Money corrupts. Pornography is about money. Uh, Human trafficking is about money and sex. Those are the two predominant um, things that are going on in the world. Sex and money. Sex and money. Sex. You can almost nail it down. Wherever there's a problem, you follow the money or you follow the sex. Well, isn't that biblical? Uh, (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned that, Nathan, because it's interesting that when when I'm looking at apostasy uh, in the church, when you trace apostasy, there are two things that you always find together. And it's significant. If I, I want you to look at, um, I wrote it down here. Let me see if I can find it very quickly. But I want to show you that uh, in everywhere where there is apostasy, there is a breakdown of morality. While you're looking that up, let me just share the contact information again. We love your interaction. We thrive off your interaction. We're not here just to be talking to you for the next 90 minutes, or we have about 50, 61 minutes left in this episode. But we are here to hear your concerns, hear your questions, and Pastor will answer it from a biblical worldview. If it's something that he's not prepared to answer, in depth, he 
will to go home and he will study it out over this next week and then come back next week and answer it more in depth. But again, we answer our questions, your questions based off of a biblical perspective. And why is that? Because the Bible is the one unchanging source that we have in this day and age. And it's 2023, almost halfway through or just a little over halfway through the first month of 2023, and there are already so many things that you hear changing, whether it's in a local government perspective, whether it's in a world uh, economic situation. Just listen to BBC News here on the Radio Lighthouse, and you will realize that things are constantly changing. But what doesn't change? God's Word doesn't change. Here's how you can interact with us. You can call and ask your question live on the air by calling 268 462 7420. Again, want to ask your question live on the air? Call 268 462 7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, send it to this number 1 268 782 1454. WhatsApp or text 268 782 1454. And again, if you are maybe new to Facebook and you're wondering how to go about following us on Facebook, how to go about watching the program, just go to Facebook and go to Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Search for Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. And then when you go to our page, there will pop up a link or a little window for our Facebook Live video feed. Click on that. It'll expand out, and you'll be able to watch behind the scenes, listen to the program, and then in the comment section of that video, you can comment your questions, and they will get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 802 we are glad that you are listening to that's truth. Yeah, I, I want to get that Second uh, Peter chapter one, one and two. Read verses one and two. Second Peter verse one, chapter one, verse one and two. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that Sorry, have. It should be. Uh, I think it's chapter two. Chapter Second Peter chapter two. Second Peter chapter two. The first two verses yeah. say, "But there were false prophets yeah. also among the people." Even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought the, that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious, pernicious ways. Not a word I would use every day. Mm-hmm. Pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Notice this false doctrine, false teaching, and then they be pernicious ways. And then go down to verse 14 and see that uh, this is dealing with the same problem, same issue, same chapter. Verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, yeah. cursed children. Read verse 18 and verse 19. For when they speak great swellings, words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escaped from them who live in error, 
Verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of a man, of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. Again, notice the false doctrine leads to immorality living and the promotion of immoral living. Wherever you find false teaching, false doctrine, apostasy, it leads to immorality. And uh, that is a, a given. So it's not surprising, for example, that the apostate church that we're dealing with has gone away from biblical truth. They're now endorsing everything that the Bible condemns as immoral. Same-sex marriage, homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, you just name it. Uh, and that is, the, that is what has happened. They no longer have a sensitive conscience. Their conscience had been seared. Going away from the truth, God judicially blinds them. That no, that's why I say I don't. I wonder why these people just don't leave the why they don't just leave the church, leave the church and just say they don't believe in God any longer. But they're not content with that. They now want to corrupt the church and destroy the church, etc. And that in itself would lead to the promotion of all of this immorality you see today. So whenever you have apostasy, you're going to have a, lot, a great depth of um, immorality. Now, for the before we jump into the apostasy. Can you catch up the listener who has just tuned in this week and hasn't had the background of all the uh, episodes where you talked about biblical separation uh, on a personal level and on an ecclesiastical level? What is apostasy and a real brief summary of why we're discussing it? Well, apostasy uh, basically has to do with the fact that um, in the last days, the, the Bible has two line, two parallel lines of what's taking place with the church. Okay. And that prophecy is made in the book of Matthew chapter 13 about the growth of the church. There is going to be a remnant church that remains true to God. But the Bible also warns a parallel with that is going to be the apostate church. And that will climax in the end time. And you'll find in the book of Revelation that the apostate church joins the political system. And the woman who is the great whore raised the beast. The, re- the, the beast is the political leader. The woman is the ecclesiastical leader. This is the world church. And so you're going to have the cooperation with the world church in connection with the political system. The, the world's um, political people recognize that you cannot bring about unity if you don't have religion, because religion is what causes people to coalesce. So you're going to have this great apostasy between the church the end-time church and the political system. And as, as you know, the World Council of Churches, the whole purpose of that is not about sharing the gospel. Their mission, and they use the word mission, their mission is not to share the gospel. Their mission is to bring about justice, what they call social justice, peace, equity, etc., etc. It's not a biblical purpose. The, the church is chosen to be to carry the Great Commission, which is to tell people to escape from this world, um, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's not the mission the World Council of Churches. They're taking on the social programs of the church. They're trying to create um, peace without Jesus Christ. In other words, their mission, uh, they're not fulfilling it. But using the word mission as though, that's why I told you before, there's a semantic language where they're actually playing gymnastics. And they're using the same language of Scripture, but they have a different meaning. And what staggers me is how many different denominations are part of this, and how many people are part of this whole World Council of Churches. And the things that are allowed when they have these conferences, which I hope to do in one of the programs, to actually give you the quotations of what these people are saying, what they're practicing. And you'll see quite, you, you sit back and you ask yourself, but 
how is it possible for people who claim to be churches to be part of an organization of this nature? And again, it's because this apostasy is leading to the end-time world church where you're going to bring not just Christianity, not just all the denominations within Christianity, but you're going to bring in the Muslims, the Hindus, every form of religion is going to come together because what people are talking about today, Nathan, is about spirituality. They're not talking about conversion or being born again or being saved. But every single movement is talking about some level of spirituality. And uh, the, the stage is being set for this conglomeration of every um, every kind of animal under the under the heavens as it were to come together and the whole thing is about unity and love and peace and it's a false unity and a false love because you're sacrificing truth in order to accommodate everybody are there churches in antigua or within the caribbean radio lighthouse listening area from puerto rico down to saint vincent barbados that are involved in this apostasy I don't know which churches are part of the WCC within the Caribbean. I know at one time a Barbadian was the president of it. I forgot. I think his name was Potter. Okay. Uh, forgot his first name, but I know at one time. So I know that there are churches within the Caribbean that are part of the World Council of Churches. And uh, when I begin to give you some quotations of what these conferences and what they say and who they allow to speak and what the people who speak say, it would make your hair curl. You can't believe that this is really happening. And by the way, what I will begin to show you, Nathan, is that this is not don't know happening. This is happening since the 1980s. Remember, the World Council Church was founded in 1948. So I was so amazed when I began to study it. I said, but I thought this was just happening. But the quotation I'll give is like from 1980-something. And I mean, we are now in 2023. Yeah. So this is something that's been going on for so long. Nobody's... Um, alarms, I mean, alerts the people in the Caribbean or, or whatever what, what's going on. And I am I'm, I'm, I myself am baffled that the information and what really goes on at this conference is not commonly known by the average man in the church uh, and what church he supports. But clearly uh, the Anglican church is part of it, the Episcopalian church, the Methodist church is part of it. And there are many of these within these denominations that are totally apostate. And my argument for those who remain in these churches is that you can't be part of a system that the Bible says you need to come out of and uh, still be worshiping the true and the living God. Uh, if your church belongs to a denomination that is apostate, you come out of the denomination. If you want to retain the name of your church, that's not the problem. But the problem, you cannot be supporting the apostate system that's going on today. And, uh, of course, when you talk these things, people are saying, well, you're not for unity. I'm, unity, I'm for unity around, around truth. I'm not going to sacrifice truth in order for what people call this nebulous love that people talk about. We must love in truth. Truth is central to everything that we do. Now, for the listener that's getting ready to reach for their radio and turn it off or tune to another dial, because they're saying, Pastor Murphy's just trying to attack my church. Pastor, what denomination church do you pastor? I pastor Baptist Church. Are there Baptist churches that have apostatized? Of course. As a matter of fact, that's why we call ourselves independent Baptist churches. Uh, I would go so far as to say this, and I think the, seven, the, uh, the, the um, Southern Baptists have cleaned up a lot of some of what they, But I remember at one time, um, there's a book written by Dr. Beale called House and Sand, where it examines the, the, the Southern Baptist movement, and it went into the seminaries and uh, was quoting from those who were the seminary teachers. And some of them didn't believe in the 
the the creation. They, they, this guy did a thorough job of exposing. Again, at that point in time, I would not have associated with the Southern Baptist because I could not understand how your church uh, was sending a fund to support a seminary that is undermining the very Bible itself. Mm-hmm. But I do know that they've done a lot of cleaning up, get rid of a lot of these professors that were once there. But there was a time when they were accommodating it and accommodating it. And uh, fundamentalists were taking a stand against that movement because they couldn't figure out how you can be allowing professors to destroy the faith of those people who are training for the ministry. So even within the Baptists, there are apostles. The American Baptist uh, movement, for example, oh, full of apostasy, no mm-hmm. question about that. And uh, so it doesn't. It's, it's not just uh, Anglicans. It's not just Episcopalians. It's not just Lutherans. It's just not United Methodist Church. Baptists are. They got apostate Baptist churches as well. We have to take a stand for the truth, and we need to come out. And that's why we call ourselves Independent Baptists. We're not beholden to any organization, any part in the world. Every one of our churches are independent. And that gives the church the right, if they want to withdraw because of apostasy, to do that. A lot of these other churches are enmeshed. Everything, you've got uh, you've got a corporate program. All the churches send in money. It has to do with the pastors getting the gratuity and getting their salaries, etc., etc. So they don't, nobody wants to rock the boat because the moment you do that, the denomination crumbles. It means you've given 20 years of your life and you might lose your gratuity. And therefore, they remain and get back to what I said. The root of all evil is money. Never forget mm. that, right? And even within religion, money is... Uh, allows a lot of corruption to, to remain uh, because nobody wants to rock the ship. Well, this guy, this guy would rock the ship. The ship needs to be rocked because we are concerned about truth and truth is what guides our understanding of the Bible. We sacrifice truth. We sacrifice everything else. Let me encourage you, even if you are feeling like uh, what Pastor is saying is rubbing you the wrong way, Bear with us for just a little bit because Pastor is basing what he's saying off of quotes that are coming out of these different denominations, these different religious organizations, and he's basing it also comparing it to Scripture. Keep your radio dial tuned to 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at radiolighthouse.org. Thank you for listening to That's Truth on this Tuesday evening on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The time is 8.14 on this Tuesday evening, and Pastor is talking about apostasy. Now, Last week, you addressed the issue of apostasy in the Anglican Church. Anything else you want to mention there before we move on to the next group? I don't think there's much I need to repeat or much I need to say in regard to that. What I would uh, just remind those who would listen to the program is that one thing that strikes me uh, about the apostasy within the Anglican Church is that it, it did not just begin in the last decade. I've quoted... Um, For example, from 1953, uh, William Temple, who was the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury. I've quoted also Michael Ramsey, who was also the Archbishop of Canterbury in 1961. I've quoted Robert Runcie in 1982. And I've quoted um, uh, George Casey in 2001. All of these men are apostates, no question about that. But they are head the spiritual head of the Anglican Church. And I'm, I'm going to suggest to you, uh, Nathan, that a lot of people who are listening to the program, if they are listening, uh, they've never heard these quotations before. They're not, not aware that the Anglican Church has apologized to Charles Darwin 
and uh, have now recanted that they were against evolution and therefore f- embraced it and said we're sorry for what we've done. I, I don't think people are even aware of that. Right? So I think that uh, it might be helpful for people who are not informed in this matter, who just take whatever the priest is saying or whatever the bishop is saying and, and not questioning. Uh, I think that we in the Caribbean need to become more enlightened to what is going on in the religious world and keep take our heads from the sand and start asking some very serious questions because the Bible warns us that the key cardinal uh, vice of the end times is deception. And the only thing that will save us from deception is truth. And the only place you find truth is in the Word of God. So you've got to get the Word of God and be able to judge these movements, not by how I feel or what somebody says, but do they align with Scripture or not. If they do not align with Scripture, it is time to make a decision, either that your pastor changes, you change your pastor, or your church comes out of that, or you yourself move out of that church and go into Bible preaching church. But a choice has to be made. You can't know um, that these things are happening and remain dormant and silent or not be proactive in dealing with this matter. The church is said to be the pillar and ground of truth. We are supposed to protect the truth. We are supposed to be the guardian of truth. And we cannot be the guardian of truth if we are in a church where error is being taught and the spiritual heads are actually people who don't believe the Bible, don't believe in the virgin birth, don't believe in Christ, don't believe in resurrection. That makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever that that could happen. But Pastor, there are four generations of my family that were before me in this church. They're buried in the cemetery out there. They have beautiful headstones. For me to leave is just rocking the boat. Well, again, you have to decide. You know, think of what a Jew had to do to become a, a Christian. And the worst thing today, even today, for a Jew to do is to become a Christian. When he became a Christian in the New Testament day, he lost his inheritance. His family disowned him. He really has to start over again. Even today, Nathan, yeah. if a Jew who has an Orthodox uh, parents who are Jews and he make the decision to trust Christ, he is disowned virtually. Any inheritance that is due to him, he loses that. That's the price that has to be paid. And Christianity has always called upon people to make pay a price and and bear costs. So we have to decide what we want, what is more important to us, earthly uh, uh, inheritance or heavenly inheritance. Is my loyalty to my family more important than my loyalty to God? Uh, You know, is my loyalty to my religion or my loyalty to the Bible? Uh, Tough decisions have to be made, but again, these are eternal consequences we're dealing with. It was a matter of just material or physical, but we're talking about eternal consequences, and we have to make some very, very, very tough decisions along that line. Me deciding whether to pull out of the church that I'm in because of apostate teachings or beliefs, will that have an effect on my children's generation and on their children's generation? Well, it could have because, uh, you know, I, for me, the church, I, I never was a church person, Nathan. I, the, I think I might have been to church before I became, a, a, um, the missionaries came over. I might have been to the, oh, because of school. It was mandatory in school that we would go to a church service. So that aspect of it, but it's always an Anglican church or mm-hmm. Catholic church. And to be very honest with you, when I went into those churches, I remember one time I went in uh, after I'd gotten saved uh, because it was mandatory. 
And I listened to the sermon, and I said, what a waste of sermon. I was a young fellow then uh, in uh, secondary school. But I said, man, this man could have preached the gospel to all eternity is politics, politics, mm. polit- something social, social. And I sat there saying to myself, well, this was a wonderful time for him to preach the gospel. He could have preached the gospel. So they've never, uh, never been to those churches where you get the, the gospel, for me, uh, where it is downright preach the gospel. Uh, there's either some political thing, some social thing, whatever it is, or the Eucharist becomes the center of it, whatever it is. But the actual preaching of the clear gospel of Jesus Christ, that it doesn't say in some other churches it may happen, but the ones I went to, they didn't happen. So I think for the children, uh, it would be good to pass on a godly heritage. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody doubts this. Uh, so there are so many people you would witness to in Antigua, in Barbados, who have been going to church all their life. And Nathan, they don't have a clue what it is to be saved. And when you go and visit them and you want to talk to them, the first thing they tell you, I'm not leaving my church. And you have to say to them, I didn't come to talk to you about church. I, I came to ask you about Christ. Do you know him? Are you saved? And they get very, very angry. Uh, you mean uh, my church don't even, uh, you know, I, I listen to my pastor. That's not the point. Uh do you know you're saved? Do you know where you're going? Do you have the assurance of your salvation? Or are you just depending on the church? Are you depending on the pastor? Well, if you're depending on the church and the pastor, you're in for a rude awakening because you're going to meet the greatest disappointment in your whole life. And that would be that you're not in, but you're out. You've got to know Christ as Savior. You've got to understand the gospel and put your faith in the gospel and not just the church. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.21. There are a number of ways that you can interact with us on tonight's program. You can call and ask your question live on the air. The phone line is open and waiting for your call right now. 268-462-7420. That'll put you live on the air. When you call, Sister Marianne will answer, and she's doing this call screening responsibilities she'll just get a little basic information from you and then make sure your radio is turned down she'll put you on hold and we will pick you up and i'll put you live on the air with pastor murphy if you want to whatsapp or text your question you can send it to 1-268-782-1454 pastor what denomination uh, do you want to discuss tonight well, I, I think we kind of started the uh, one with the Episcopalian Church of America, um, and I mentioned before that the Episcopalian Church is actually a replica of the Anglican Church. Um, as a matter of fact, it was founded in 1789 uh, after the Civil War in America, and while it has maintained a lot of the doctrine practices of um, the Anglican Church, because of the Civil War, uh, it acquired the name, adopted the name of Episcopal Church. And the word Episcopal refers to the manner of the government where it is um, it's a hierarchy, a hierarchical group that oversight, oversees the work, the, the bishops. So that's why it's called the, the, uh, the Episcopalian Church. Um, the vast majority within the Episcopalian Church um, are modernists, they're ecumenical, uh, and uh, most of the leaders are rationalistic believers who do not hold to the cardinal fundamental doctrines of the the church. Um, And there's a lot of quotations we can give directly from the mouth of the leaders within this movement. 
before you give a quote, uh -huh. you use the word modernist. What do you mean there? Do you mean they use electricity versus candles? No, no. When we use the word modernist, that's a term that refers to what happened in the 19th century, uh, 18th, 19th century in Germany, where um, the theologians in Germany, that's where all of this question the Bible, uh, what's called higher criticism, um, started in Germany. And it started to undermine the Bible because it started saying, for example, such things as um, creation stories and myth, uh, saying that Moses could not have written the five books of the Bible, uh, etc., because he couldn't write in that time. Uh, so they did a lot of work to destroy the integrity of the Bible and belief in the inspiration of the Bible. So modernness is a person uh, uh, who does not believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, who does not believe in miracles, who does not believe in the virgin birth of Christ, who does not believe in the resurrection of Christ, who does not believe in the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. Uh, basically, he maintains, uh, and again, I don't understand why he wants to remain in the church. I don't understand why he wants to be a theologian if he doesn't believe that. But he does everything to discredit the Bible. See, that's what a modernist is. They crept into not only the church, they crept into the seminaries that were training men for the ministry, and they destroyed the faith of those men who were training. But they came out of those seminaries, came into the church, and started teaching the people as well. That's how it started in Germany, and then it got into the seminaries, and then from the seminaries into the pulpit. So you have a lot of men in the pulpit today uh, in a lot of these established churches that don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, that don't believe in creation, that don't believe in the blood atonement of God, but they're not saying it. They're using words. And that's why with the lady from Anguilla who wrote and told me that she got a good thing, uh, and I point out to her that she's saying, you know, he tells me us a lot of good things, don't commit adultery, moral things. Well, that's not what Christianity is about. It is true that Christianity will affect your morality. But Christianity is about biblical truth. It's about saving faith. So a man can be talking about you shouldn't commit fornication, you're going to adultery, you should be nice, you should pay your bills, you should obey the government. But if he doesn't show you how to get to heaven, yeah. it doesn't benefit you in the long term. So that's why I said you've got to find out from those people who are your pastors, Pastor, I need to have a meeting with you. Could we have a meeting to sit down and talk? Uh, you can even use the program. I heard in the program that there's a lot of apostasy going on. I want to know from your mouth. Do you believe there's a heaven? Do you believe in a hell? Do you believe in creation? Do you believe that Jesus Christ's atoning blood can save me? Uh, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe? You know, ask those questions. You can't. You can't go on believing that your pastor, who's been there for so long, knowing this apostasy has been there for so long, and you're not concerned what he really believes. And remember, they're using the same language, the same cliches that we they, they got the cliches and know the cliches. So they're speaking the language, and you think that they have the same meaning, but it's a different meaning. It's an interesting book. Um, written by Walter Martin, the, the Kingdom of the Cults. He has a fascinating chapter about how this semantic game is being played by using biblical terms but injecting different meaning. I would suggest anybody can acquire that book. It would be worth uh, its weight in gold just to read that section dealing with the, the, the groups that uh, use this kind of biblical language but have completely injected different meaning into it. And would you be confident in saying that Satan is behind that re 
using words? Well, I don't even have to say that I believe that Paul himself said that, that in the last days of doctrine of demons, mm. right? Who's the mastermind behind the demonic force? Satan. Satan himself. So there's no question that when you see all of this religious apostasy that's going on, this is not just human agency. This is a mastermind creating so much confusion that even today, there are people who were solidly fundamentalist, solidly biblical, who are now wavering on such things as same-sex marriage, homosexual. And I am a, like I'm appalled that some of the men who are endorsing these kind of things, uh, I, I, I would have told you this could never have happened. But they've been totally now uh, influenced and brainwashed by the culture and trying to adopt a stance that fits in line with what the culture wants in order to be relevant. Pastor, here's a comment coming from uh, north of us here in the Caribbean. Good evening, Pastor. I just tuned in, and it seems that you are pointing out the hypocrisy in various denominations. I'm a Methodist, but my favorite preacher is from the Southern Baptist, Bellevue Baptist, the late Adrian Rogers. Do you have any information that you can impart to me? Do you have any information that you can impart to me? Why I love Adrian so much is because he preaches Jesus and more Jesus every time. Thanks. I think, uh, quite frankly, Adrian Rogers mm-hmm. was not only a, a great preacher, but he's a great writer. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I had a guy who gave me a, a, a flash drive, and it had about 15,000 books on it. And uh, I had all of Agent Rogers' um, books. I had a lot of his sermons. Uh, I must say, though, I don't know where that disappeared. I had it in my mm-hmm. office in the church. I was supposed to, to along to the church, who took it, bring it back. <laughs> 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 because it was about 15,000 books on it. Wow. It was given by Johnny Daniels uh, when it was a conference. Robert brought it for me, to be honest with you. He had one, too, but his, his somehow, somehow has gotten spoiled. I spent, I think, about a whole week going through that, um, that that CD, writing down every title. Wow. So I would know when I needed a topic or something to do it. I still got all the notes. It's like, it's like 15 or 16 pages of just all the titles. Mm. And it can't find it. Mm. Just can't find it. But I would say to that gentleman, um, you're listening to a great preacher. Uh, he was a Southern Baptist. I think at one time he was also the president of the Southern Baptist Church. What you will find within the Southern Baptist Church, that when they were having this apostasy, there were great men who were still leaders, but they hadn't got the, the gumption to deal with the problem. And that was what bothered fundamentalists who were saying, but we can't understand why the Southern Baptists got so many great preachers, but no one wants to clean up the seminaries. And again, I would suggest to you, it all has to do with the corporate program, because all the Southern Baptists send money to the corporate program. The seminary people are paid out of it. The, the seminaries are maintained by it. The pastors are maintained by it. When you rock the boat, it jeopardizes your security. And I would say to you, I'm not saying that he was one of them, but that was what shocked the uh, fundamentalists uh, who held to biblical truth, that they didn't clean up this thing for a long time. So I would say to that gentleman, um, keep on listening to him, and uh, if you have this CD I'm talking about, I wouldn't mind if you send me a replica of it. (laughs) (laughs) And let me just mention this. Over the last month or so, I've been doing a lot of research and looking at possible programs to change or to add here on the Radio Lighthouse to our schedule of programs. And actually, Adrian Rogers is one that I very seriously considered, and it's on the potential list in the future. We won't be making that change at this time, but very from everything I'm aware of, doctrinally sound and stayed true to Scripture. 
So thank you for listening there from the Northern Eastern Caribbean. And thanks for sending in your question and your thoughts. If you have a question or a thought, you can send it in via WhatsApp or text to one 268 782-1454 or you can call and ask it live on the air 1-268-462-7420 that'll put you live on the air Pastor, how about some quotes that you've been promising us about the Episcopalian Church? Well, I, I think I might have mentioned this character last week but uh, Bishop James Pike um, who considered what he said um, uh, that religious myth is part of communicating the gospel. And of course, religious myth to him meant the Garden of Eden, etc., mm-hmm. etc. I think that is a, a an apostate damning statement as well, that you just think that the, the church is teaching myth when it's teaching uh, biblical truth about creation and about the fall. Um, he also said that he had jettisoned the virgin birth of Christ um, and he said he had abandoned the doctrine of the Trinity. No, here's a bishop within the Episcopalian Church that who was not defrocked as a result of making those statements. Now, nobody within the Baptist circle uh, could say that he has rejected the Trinity, he has surrendered the doctrine of the virgin birth, and to my knowledge can remain a pastor within the independent Baptist circle. That wouldn't happen. Uh, clearly, that is an apostate teaching. Uh, then there's also the guy called John Sprung. Uh, he's Episcopal uh, bishop as well in Newark, uh, New Jersey. Um, he, like Pike, has denied all the major doctrines. But it's what he said in 1982, where he condemned the traditional evangelistic and missionary endeavors of the church and said that uh, biblical uh, absolution was a vice. What he means by that is that we should not teach that Jesus Christ is the only way. That is biblical absolutism. So he is saying that that is a vice for the church. Now imagine uh, anybody saying that you know you shouldn't preach that Jesus Christ is the only way within the Baptist circle. Uh, that clearly is a, another thing. Of, uh, in 1998, uh, 1988, he went into a Buddhist temple and same bishop, this is what he said. He said, As the smell of the incense filled the air, I knelt before the three images of Buddha, feeling that the smoke could carry my prayers heavenward. It was for me, he goes on to say, uh, holy, a holy moment, for I was certain that I was kneeling on holy ground. He has no. <laughs> a very loose definition of holy. But, I mean, here's a bishop yeah. uh, actually elevating Buddhism. And by the way, Buddhism do not believe in a, a, a personal God, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and uh, again, you are praying within the temple, and you are giving credit, and you're saying that you feel that this was a holy moment, and that my prayers were being carried to heaven on this smoke. I cannot conceive of any true, genuine, authentic, born-again believer making such ludicrous statements as this man did. This man clearly is a pagan at heart. He's not a, a converted person. He's not a Christian. Uh, he's just, uh, in my judgment, a professor, but he doesn't have genuine conversion. Uh, the churches in uh, Memphis, the Episcopal Church in Memphis, um, ran an ad that said, and I, I want to quote, in an atmosphere of absolute right and wrong, here's a little room to breathe. 
the Episcopalian Church is totally committed to the preservation of open dialogue uh, and undogmatic faith. Even if we do not believe in, in God, he believes in us. Uh, we do not suffocate with absolutes. Wow. Uh, again, this is clearly a surrender to biblical authority because you're saying there's no absolutes, and the Bible is a book of absolutes, morality, absolute Christian statements, us, absolute doctrine. And, um, and again, open dialogue and undogmatic faith. So what faith do you have then? It means that your, your faith is in limbo. Uh, there's no certainty about what you really believe. But this, is, again, is the Episcopalian Church in a particular area in, in Tennessee. Um, in um, 1988, um, the same um, sprung, uh, Bishop Sprung, uh, he said, I would choose to loathe rather than worship uh, the deity who required the sacrifice of his son. Right, wow. so he sees God as a ch- child molester. Uh, that's how he sees. A, 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 he's a father abuser, so he can't worship this kind of a God because in sacrificing his son, uh, he has molested his son. In that, now imagine a bishop making those kind of statements. These men do not belong in the church. They are lost men. They are doomed men. Uh, unto these men belong unto the darkness of the darkness. These are simply unsafe people filling uh, spiritual positions. But imagine a man like this preaching to his people Sunday after Sunday. I mean, and imagine as well, he's going from one church to another church. Uh, it's frightening what is happening. And then when you begin to see the low morality in the church, in the world, you begin to understand it's, it's not the world, it's a problem, it's the church, it's a problem. They're compromised on everything, and therefore you have this low level of morality. Um, in 1998, Bishop Edmund Brungin, uh, Episcopalian as well, who was the president, uh, he said, it is time to move past using reading the Bible to create prejudices against our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. He said that in 1998. Uh, again, imagine a statement like that. So we must not uh, read the Bible because the Bible condemns this kind of a lifestyle. And we would rather accommodate these people in the church and not read the Bible that deals with these passages, etc., to accommodate these people. So they're elevating the lifestyle of the gay and the lesbians uh, above the authority of the Scripture. Again, you've got this apostasy away from biblical truth. Um, It should be of great concern uh, to people. In the... 206, the National Convention of the Episcopal Church of America voted overwhelmingly against a resolution, and that resolution was that you must have an unchanging commitment to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as the only name by which a person may be saved. Seven out of ten uh, said that we should not keep that resolution. Wow. Uh, Again, what kind of church do you have now? That shows you not only within the Anglican Church, but also within the Episcopalian Church, you've got this rabid uh, apostasy that's happening, that's going on. Uh, in, 19, in 2006, the Episcopalian um, Convention elected the, a woman called Catherine Jeffers Shorty uh, to be the presiding bishop for a nine-year term. Now, she becomes the presiding bishop of the convention. In her first sermon, um, in her capacity... 
she talked about our mother Jesus. Okay. So you've got here again the feminism entering the church and uh, it is just totally pathetic uh, what is happening. Uh, I want to give you another one. In 1987, the Episcopal Church in Northern New Jersey, um, they did a study, and this is the conclusion that they came to, and I want to read it because it is is frightening. It says, um, it's our conclusion that by suppressing our sexuality, by condemning all sex which occurs outside of traditional marriage, the church has thereby obstructed a vitally important means for persons to know and celebrate their, relate, their relatedness to God. The report encouraged the churches uh, to accept homosexuals, fornicators, adulterers, as long as they are sensitive and committed people. This is in 87, 1987. That's why I said this thing started a long time, Nathan. I'm no catching up. I'm really no catching because I've never really examined the level of apostasy that has been going on. But we are now in 2020. Now, if they believe that in 1987, can you imagine what that church is like today and yeah. the kind of tolerance you find within that church? Uh, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is sad. Uh, in his book, uh, A Bishop Rethinks Homose- uh, Human Sexuality, Uh, The same uh, bishop, uh, John Sprong, said, I have known too many non-martial relationships marked by, listen, qualities of holiness to suggest that they are immoral. I regard the blessings of gay and lesbian couples uh, by the church to be inevitable, right, and positively good. Uh, I don't think anybody within any one of those churches reading this kind of a statement uh, can doubt where this uh, level of apostasy is all about. Here's a question that's come in from Antigua. Pastor, do ministers get together to discuss the challenges that each other are facing relating to apostasy and how they can encourage and strengthen each other? Uh, I don't know what other churches do, uh, so I can't speak in regards to that. I would say that there's no real... We don't... We're not part of an ecumenical movement here uh, within the independent Baptist circle. We did have a vibrant uh, men's, uh, sorry, vibrant pastoral um, meeting. I think it was every two months or every one month. I can't remember exactly the frequency of it. But we did uh, meet as independent Baptist pastors, and we did have some good discussions on issues, et cetera, et cetera. But then COVID came in. And we have not been able to get that going since uh, COVID happened. We are now looking at um, getting it started. But the person who was doing such a fantastic job, one of our pastors, um, he was a bivocational bivocational pastor. And uh, now he has lost his job. So he is now doing a lot of um, self-employment. And that does not allow him to, to have the time of quality time he needs to plan these programs, etc. So we're trying to see if one of the other pastors will take on that responsibility. But to the um, the person who sent in, I think it's important that uh, pastors meet periodically to discuss these kind of things um, and to, to alert the churches and uh, the congregation about the, this trend. I do think it's vitally important that, that be done, but uh, we haven't done it for since COVID, and we're hoping to get back in that. But I would suspect that um, other churches, like the probably the Moravian Church and probably the Wesleyan Church, I would imagine that they would have 
meetings with pastors, um, but I am not too sure if they discuss the, the kind of apostasy that's going on today, but um, it is something that needs to be done and something that needs to be looked at. Is it something that we need to be discussing even as those of us who are not in full-time ministry, just the the church member, the church attendee, is it an appropriate thing to discuss uh, over a, a dinner with uh, fellow members from the church, Pastor? I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, it's not malice. You're trying to be informative. You're trying to get down to what is really happening in the Christian world. Because, Nathan, I'll be honest with you, uh, I would say this. A lot of Christians don't read anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of what they get, they get from the news, maybe MSNBC, ABC, uh, Fox, whatever it is. But or in terms TikTok of, videos. Or TikTok videos. But in terms of reading solid books uh, on, on these issues, I don't uh, believe that that is what regularly happens. Um, so a lot of believers are simply not informed. Uh, and sometimes when they are informed, the information is so skewed. I, you can tell me what radio station you listen to, where you get your news from. I can almost tell you what kind of thinking that person is, right? Um, because uh, the kind of data and information that's going in there uh, and the influence it has on your thinking and a lot of these people that listen to the news and spend so much time on the news and listen to these cables, et cetera, et cetera, are not people that spend much time in the scriptures. So as I said uh, before, if you've got more sewage coming in than truth coming in, it can't dilute it enough to have any significant change. And unless you cut off the sewage and get into the truth, that will help to solve the problem. But I don't think that's happening today. I think we're just completely uh, allowing the culture and the immediate shape or our, our thinking. We've got about 15 minutes left in this episode of That's Truth. If you've got a question, maybe it's something that you're thinking, um, surely I'm the only one that has this question. Go ahead and send it in anyways. We would be glad to hear your question and answer it from a biblical worldview. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268 782 14 Five four two six eight seven eight two one four five four. That's the WhatsApp or text number. If you'd rather call and ask your question live on the air, call one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. If you have just tuned in, the name of the program is That's Truth. The voice that you've heard teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church here in Antigua. He is talking specifically about apostasy here in the end times, and tonight he's been sharing a lot of quotes from the Episcopalian Church and leaders, former leaders of that church, and talking about their apostasy from the fundamentals of the faith. Uh, let me give you a more recent one. In, in June 7th, 2003, uh, uh, the Diocese of New Hampshire elected its first openly uh, homosexual bishop. His name was Bishop Robinson. Uh, the election was confirmed on August 5th by the General Convention of the Episcopalian Church. Listen to this. Thirteen years earlier, um, this same man who is now ordained, Bishop Robinson, had broken his marriage vows, leaving his wife and two daughters to move in with his male partner, Mark Andrews, and still they ordain him as, as bishop. What did they do with Timothy and, is it Timothy and Titus? 
I mean, that, yeah. oh man, this is this is totally totally ridiculous that this could. But I mean, you leave your wife, you leave your two children, you bunk up with this 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 male guy, you turn around and um, have a relationship with him, and the church ordains you as a bishop. I mean, what does that say about your church? What does that say about your denomination? And by the way, this is the the uh, the general convention of the Episcopal Church. This is not just the one church. Now, this is the convention that they would ordain such a... This is what Robinson said. He said, In my relationship with my partner, I'm able to express the deepest love that's in my heart. And, um, and in his unfailing, unquestioned love for me, I experienced just a little bit of the kind of never-ending, never-failing love of God for me. He's drawing a parallel there between this homosexual love and God. If that isn't blasphemy, I just don't know what it is. But that gives you the idea of the depth of the problem that we face today, Nathan. Again, this is 2003, and now 2023. That's 20 years ago, yeah. right? What has that church become uh, <laughs> since then? Um, in a speech on April 29, 2000, the, the day before a homosexual uh, march in Washington, D.C., this is what the same... Robinson that, that was just ordained. This is what he said. He said, We are worthy to hold our heads high up as gay folks, not because we are merely decided uh, we are worthy, but because God has proclaimed it so. That we are loved beyond our wildest imagining by a God who made us as the way we are and proclaim us good. We lay an equal claim to a Savior who loves us as we are. We lay claim to our full membership in the body of Christ. See? I mean, how does a man make a statement like that and, and doesn't fear the earth opening and totally consuming him? I don't understand. There is no fear of God. That's why I say to you, Nathan, the problem here is that these men have come to a point where their conscience is so seared. You know what it is to be in a church and knowing truth, maybe hearing truth for 10 or 20 years and not responding to the truth. And all the time, you're either gay or you're whatever it is. Your mind is closed off to the truth completely. You are totally self-deceived. And now, error now seems like truth. Darkness now seems like light. You've got a complete moral inversion because of this. And he's a classic example of what happens in a case like that. Uh, in an annual convention in 2012, the Episcopal Church in America endorsed the blessing of same-sex marriage and voted in favor of transgender clergymen. That was in July 13, 2012. You see how they moved from, it's now gay and homosexual, now it's not transgender. See, mm-hmm. Once you open the door, you can't close the door. You open it to something wider and wider and wider. I would not be surprised if uh, a few years from now when pedophilia is probably accepted that pedophiles are now allowed in the church. And when it goes into bestiality that the Bible talks about, the worst corrupt thing you think about, again, is their orientation. That's the way they were made. That's, their, that's what they like. That's how they Don't be surprised that the church also accommodates that. You, you are, you're playing on a, on a slippery slope. And the church is going deeper and deeper into this darkness. And I don't see any way of recovery unless there's some kind of a Holy Spirit revival. Uh, but I think it's either revival or revolution of some kind that's going to happen. A question from a listener. Pastor, earlier in the program, you briefly referenced 
referenced Revelation. Revelation is written with a lot of figurative language. Why is it written with figurative language and not just spelled out, this is what will happen? Well, it's like when our Lord was asked the question, why do you speak to people in parables? And he made it very clear. Uh, he wanted the believer to know, but the unbeliever wasn't supposed to. These are secrets that belong to the church. The church job is to expound scripture, interpret scripture, explain scripture to the masses. But these are family secrets. And uh, again, the book of Revelation is written in uh, a lot of what you call, um trying to find the word here. Okay, it'll come to me. Oh, uh, um, uh, it's not coming. It'll come to me before it's finished. But it's, it's a language that apocalyptic language okay. right uh, it's like the same kind of language you find in the book of Daniel the same kind of book you find in the book of uh, Ezekiel uh, so in order to understand Revelation you have to understand Daniel you have to understand Ezekiel you have to understand Zechariah uh, a lot of the images you find in the uh, book of Revelation there are those images in the other part of the Bible so to find to understand Revelation you have to understand the Bible you have to be able to trace those images but clearly uh, God had designed that the truth about Bible prophecy in the end times would only be understood as these things became to come to pass. Remember Daniel was told to seal up the book until the time of the end? Right. And the time of the end, there would be knowledge and information. It's only within the last hundred years, Nathan, that the pastors and leaders began to concentrate on Bible prophecy. So a lot of the Bible prophecy that we're teaching today is only information that came within the last hundred years. If you read even uh, books like, um, commentaries like um, Matthew Henry, and some of the other old uh, commentary writers, you'll find that even they themselves never understood about the rapture and the distinction between the rapture and the revelation. And a lot of those people also believe that a lot of the things you find in, Re- in Revelation were, was history. It's called the preterist view and not things to come. But as God uh, revealed more and more and a lot of history already passed, Men could now take the history of the past, apply it to the book of Daniel, apply it to the book of Revelation, and begin to understand that book more clearly. So it was for a specific time that this this knowledge would be revealed. It was hidden uh, until a particular time. Now that we're in the end times, it is now coming to light what this whole thing about prophecy is all about. Now, you referenced that it's like family secrets. But what makes that different from secret society well, again, the reason why that was done as well, uh, Jesus said, you say you can see. If you were blind, you'd be able to see, but you say you can see. And it had to do with the matter of human pride. In particular, with dealing with the, the passage they used really had to do with the Jews and the religious leaders who refused to accept his teaching. And he said, you know, did not Isaiah say that you will see and not see and hear, you're not here. And this is part of God's judicial blinding that you've got truth standing before you. You reject the truth, and now God has blinded you to the truth. It's like Pilate standing before the Lord, and he's asking the question, what is truth? I mean, you've got truth standing before you, and you ask him what truth is, right? Yeah. So it is part of God's judicial blinding of those who have an arrogant pride that they, they reject the truth, and as a result of that, they become blinded. It's like what the Bible says in Second Thessalonians, that those who refuse to the gospel and refuse the light of the gospel today, that the time will come when God will turn them strong delusion that they believe the lie. Uh, the Bible warns about that, see, so that they do not 
believe the truth. Go back to Thessalonians, you see that. They were given judicially blinded so that they can't accept the truth. And that happens to people who um, have the truth, reject the truth, and God judicially blinds them so they can't understand the truth. And I think that is what is happening a lot uh, in uh, different places and also I think not only to different religious men but in my judgment I think that's what's happening with a lot of political leaders Um, it's shocking that a lot of these men claim to be Christians but there's no way those people can be Christians and uh, and come up with the kind of policies and legislation that is there Um, it doesn't Aligned with scripture, it doesn't align with what God is and righteousness and holiness. It just doesn't align. But all of the profession, and a lot of those people, by the way, Nathan, are depending on the fact the church. Yeah. A lot of them are depending on the church, the fact that within the church, not a real, genuine, born again personal experience with Jesus Christ where they got saved. It just took the communion, they were baptized, they became members of the church, and the church is what's going to get them to heaven. So they're Christian. And they go on in that situation again and again. And you can talk to them, I can talk to them. makes no impression upon them. Do we have any reason to believe that a person who has been judicially blinded by God will ever have the opportunity to have their eyes opened to believe the truth? I don't know if I have an example that I can cite in, in that regard. I think when a person becomes judicially blinded, I think that is it. Uh, I really do that. Uh, several years ago, when I was in St. Vincent, I would never forget this. Um, I was speaking to a gentleman about getting saved, and he told me, you know, quite frankly, boy, what you're doing is useless. I said, what do you mean useless? And he told me a story, Nathan. He told me he used to travel on the boat between the islands, and um, he was in a bunk bed, and there was a huge curtain. And the Lord was dealing with him for a while, but he was there, and he said there was a preacher on the boat, and the preacher started to preach. He said, man, I came under so much conviction. He said, Pastor, I virtually knew that was my hour. Mm-hmm. That I, I was sure that I needed to get saved then. He said, but you know what? I was so proud. I sat and I listened under conviction, never got saved. He said, the Lord has never spoken to me since then like he did then. And he really felt that he had lost his opportunity. I think Spurgeon has a sermon on uh, using John Bunyan's book, something about the, um, in the pit of despair, when a person loses hope in that, that particular thing. It's an awesome thing when a person reaches that stage where they think that God is no longer speaking, God is no longer talking, God has abandoned me. When you reach that period of desperation, uh, quite frankly, it's a hopeless, meaningless existence. And I think there's some people who know they've reached that stage. It's a very dangerous stage to reach. Now, in the last couple minutes here, to the individual who's maybe driving in their vehicle, they have this program on, they don't attend church, they wouldn't claim to be a believer or a Christian, but yet they have heard the gospel. What advice do you have for them? My advice is is this, quite frankly. Um, if you've heard the gospel, you haven't been responding to the gospel, I think you are in danger of be- getting your conscience seared. I think it's about time for you to give some serious thought to this matter. And um, if it's not it's a church, you've got a bitterness to visit the church or some opposition to the church, get the Bible. Get the Bible. Start reading the Bible for yourself. And before you read the Bible, just offer a little prayer before God and say, God, open my eyes to the truth. If you show me the truth, I'll respond to the truth. Very simple prayer. 
start reading the Bible, set aside some time on a regular basis, start let the Bible, because the Bible says, so then faith comes up by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So if you don't think you have enough faith to believe, get into the Word, and it will generate faith in your heart. And who knows, it might bring you to the point where you, you come under conviction, and you're willing to put your faith and trust in Christ. But don't continue as you are. If you know the Gospel, hear the Gospel, and you're not responding to the Gospel. There may come a time when you wish the Gospel will be heard, you could understand, this is your moment, this is your hour, utilize it while God gives you, uh, extends mercy and grace to you. What advice in the last 20 seconds do you have for the individual who says, I'm not a believer, I'm not a Christian, I've never heard the gospel? I would say to you, get into a good church, open to certain good radio programs that would guide you the gospel, and let the Lord deal with you and speak to you. But this is the hour you need to get saved. Don't delay any longer. You need Christ as your Savior. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.